The challenge we have in Nigeria is education. Now, as we're discussing, you know my approach is knowledge-based, not instinct-based. But in Nigeria, our approach is instinct-based, not knowledge-based. Unless we read, unless we research, unless we find out, we cannot go further. So what we need to do in order to solve this problem of policy and whatever in Nigeria is we need to go back to the basics, education. But you see, our approach in Nigeria, this grandstanding, everybody wants to hold gun, everybody wants to be in uniform. No, that is not what community policy is about. Community policy is knowledge-based. It makes us move to the next level in terms of security, education, and awareness. We should not go back to the dark ages where you must use force in solving problems. No. From Triple E Media, I'm Ramat Mohammed, and this is The Backstory. On the 25th of June, 2019, the governors of Nigeria's southwest states, Lagos, Ondo, Eketi, Ogun, Oshun, and Oyo, held a conference in Ibadan. The conference was in a large hall that was packed with probably over 200 people. These included traditional rulers and security personnel from the Nigerian police force. Now, according to this day newspaper, the purpose of the meeting was to come up with a solution for the security challenges in the region. And by the end of the meeting, the governors called for the formation of state police to help tackle these security challenges. Now, just to give you some context, Nigeria has a police force, but it's at the federal level. There is no state police. There hasn't been a regional or state police since 1966. This was when the military got rid of the regional administration structure and put in a unitary state. And even our constitution says that we're only allowed one police force, the Nigeria police force, in any part of the country. But frustration continued to grow in the Southwest about security challenges. In the past few weeks, Ondo State witnessed a surge in criminal activities. From kidnapping to armed robbery, the cases continue to rise. The Oshun State Police Command in Oshubo has paraded five suspects who were arrested for armed robbery. The State, State, Police, State Police Command have arrested members of the Aye and Aye Court groups who embarked on a supremacy battle in a full area of the state. Can one of them simply identify as state where the police command has warned individuals with criminal intent to leave the state or prepare for the long armed and in September 2019, the governors of the Southwest announced that they would set up Operation Amotekun. Amotekun is a Yoruba word that means leopard, the custodian of the jungle. Antonietta, what kinds of security challenges was the Southwest facing? Well, as you know, every part of the country is facing one security challenge or the other. And most of these challenges are local. So to understand the security challenges in the Southwest, we analyzed data from the Council on Foreign Relations from 2016 to 2020. That's five years. And we found that just like the rest of the country, 
Insecurity has been on the rise in the Southwest since 2019. In the five years that we analyzed, the council tracked 1,337 violent deaths in the Southwest due to insecurity. We reviewed these reports to identify the suspected cause of death. Security forces such as police, military, customs officers were the suspected causes for about 25% of violent death. And I'll come back to that in a minute. Cultism and gang-related rivalries were suspected to account for about 23% of the deaths. Robberies, about 13%. Deaths associated with NSARS and looting that followed accounted for about 7%. Next, militants were suspected to cause about 7% of the deaths and political rivalries about 6%. Hmm. I've been keeping track and about 83% of the reported violent deaths in the Southwest were suspected to be caused by security forces, cultism and gang-related rivalries, robberies, the NSARS protest and the subsequent looting, militancy and political rivalries. Exactly. And the remaining 20% or so of the violent deaths fall under disputes between community groups, kidnappings, headsmen, and mob action. Now, let me get back to the deaths potentially caused by security forces. These include accidental deaths as a result of stray bullets, as well as outright extrajudicial killings. Now, most deaths happened during an operation. For example, in March of 2018, there were reports that Ogun State Police had killed six suspected kidnappers as part of a rescue operation. But the problem with these deaths is that the security forces are essentially bypassing the justice system. And that's actually why the NSAS protests happened last year. Hmm. But Amoteku is not set up to deal with deaths that are potentially caused by security forces. That's right. The issue of deaths caused by security forces is part of the reforms that the Nigeria police says they are making. Hmm, okay, let's set aside the violent deaths that are suspected to be at the hands of security forces for this discussion. And let's also set aside the NSARS deaths, since that was a unique event. That leaves us with deaths from cultism, gang-related rivalries, robberies, militancy, and political rivalries as the top causes of insecurity in the Southwest, followed by intertribal disputes, kidnappings, herdsmen, and mob action. So how is Amotokun set up to deal with these? Well, our police force, the way it is set up right now, has been struggling to meet community demands to fight and prevent crime. The United Nations recommends that there should be one police officer for every 450 citizens. In our country, we have about 200 million people. We're supposed to have about 450,000 police officers. But according to Punch newspaper, the IG of police admitted in 2019 that we had only about 300,000 police. That's about one police officer for every 660 citizens. According to the police force, they have limited resources and funding. This prevents them from meeting community needs to fight crime. But there may actually be a more fundamental historical reason. Our police force was never really set up to prevent crime in the first place. 
In the 1850s, British merchants and missionaries showed a keen interest in Nigeria, and these groups needed protection from indigenous people and against their competitors. According to a paper by Philip Ahire, they also needed a way to enforce obedience to laws, laws that effectively give them economic benefits. Now, the first police force was established in 1861 in the Lagos colony. That force had 25 people under the command of Governor McCoskey, a British merchant. At that time, the people of Lagos kept attacking this force of 25. So in 1862, the next governor of Lagos colony, Governor Freeman, increased the force to 100 constables, which formed the armed police force. Now, according to Philip Ahiri, the police force was established to extend and consolidate British colonial rule. There is no historical evidence that it was established to fight crime and protect democratic rights. Crime at that time was resistance to the colonialists. Ahire cites example after example of how the British used the police force, which, by the way, consisted of people from outside the community. The police force were used to create so-called riots and to maintain law and order. Hmm, so wait. Law and order basically meant making sure the masses did not rise up against the government of the day. It had nothing to do with crime? Exactly. If the people were going around killing each other, that didn't matter to them. But if the people refused to pay taxes or protested against paying taxes, the police would be called in. This is why no attention was paid to the educational levels of the recruits. The colonialists simply needed an organized armed force to fight resistance to their rule and ease their socio-economic exploitation. Now, we kept this system of policing even after independence from colonial rule in 1960. The police continued to be used as a tool for enforcing political authority and maintaining law and order rather than as a tool for the prevention of crime within communities. And this also contributed to the mistrust between the people in the communities and the police force. It's not clear if the fundamental premise under Amotekun's formation is really that different from the way our police force was initially set up. Our current police force has been undergoing a series of reforms to move away from the law and order enforcement model to a crime prevention model, but it's taking time. And from what we can tell, at least from the legal framework that has established Amotekun, they're being empowered to enforce law and order. For example, both the Ekiti State and Ogun State bills allow Amotekun to be armed. Now, if we keep going down this road of seeing policing as mostly an enforcement function, we'll keep repeating the same mistakes. We saw this when the Bakasi boys came along. The Bakasi boys emerged in 1999 as a direct consequence of the rising armed robbery in major markets in Abba, that's in the southeast. The police were unable to protect lives and properties in that commercial town, so the merchants set up a resistance force that countered the armed robbers, and they were successful at enforcing law and order, so successful that they became a tool for the ruling political elite. 
And then the cycle started all over again. They lost the trust of the people that they were supposed to be protecting and just became a tool of enforcement rather than crime prevention. Hmm. Okay. Thank you, Antonietta. Rabia, Antonietta just made this distinction between policing for law and order versus policing for crime prevention. What does policing for crime prevention look like? We spoke with Ibrahim Ahmed Kazina. I'm director of the Department of State Services. I'm currently I'm the Special Advisor Security Matters to the Governor of the State. And according to him, crime prevention needs a community-based approach. Because it is the best form of strategy to fight crime and criminality in any society. The nature of crimes and criminality of Nigeria are community-based. The conventional approach of using security forces to fight crime in Nigeria doesn't pay. You have to use the community. You have to evolve the concept of community policing. He says that the conventional approach... They cannot provide the needed services because of what? It's about enforcement. And anything about enforcement uh, has some deficiencies. It's facing some challenges. He goes on to say that most of the crime in Nigeria is local. And he draws a distinction between policing as enforcement versus policing as community involvement. The issue of community policing is about people's participation in their own security affairs, direct involvement, direct participation. What the conventional policy is not about. The conventional policy is about enforcement. So while the community policy is about understanding the dynamics of crime and criminality and addressing the changing pattern of crime through community involvement, through alternative conflict resolution, and through various strategies that make the community feel involved, feel part of their own problems and part of the solution, what the conventional policy doesn't provide. So that's In his book on community policy, he proposes a model built around vigilance. According to this model, a community first builds awareness about the types of crimes in their environment. So in the case of Amotekun operating in the southwest, communities would need to be aware about either the most common types of crimes already taking place in their neighborhoods or the emerging types of crimes. Hmm, and we already talked about the most common suspected causes of insecurity in the Southwest. If we set aside the security-related ones, these are cultism and gang-related rivalries, robberies, militancy, and political rivalries. Right. And some emerging ones may be the intertribal disputes, kidnappings, herdsmen, and mob action. So, Rabia, once a community is aware of the types of crimes they need to watch out for, What's next? Well, then they need to be able to share information not only with each other, but also with the security forces, which obviously means that they first need to get to know who is who. This is the know your neighbor principle. Every community in Nigeria has traditional institutions. It has local government authorities. It has community structures. So these are the setups that will be mobilized together to come and address what is affecting their particular village, particular community. Once a community detects something that they feel might be a threat, they analyze the information, they bring it to the village council, 
the village council will discuss, and this village council is consistent of the elders, youth leaders, traditional title holders, community leaders, who will sit down, discuss, and dissect this problem, understand it, and apply it as it affects their community. It's a problem-solving strategy. Even in Katrina here, we're using that aspect uh, to detect crimes and some criminality. So the moment the community informant get the information, you pass it to the community leaders. And in that aspect, there's serious confidentiality on source protection, which is one of the most important aspects in fighting criminality. Then the community council, uh, the elders will take it to the community council when they investigate and confirm the variety of the information. Then the community council will discuss the issue and possibly call the person affected so that they can end the problem in the body. And they will have empirical evidence confronting. Now, this method does require the community to collect some information. Essentially, members need to conduct preliminary investigations on the threat prior to taking the complaint to the authorities. The end goal is not only to get the community involved, but to also help the police speed up their enforcement efforts by providing them with as much information as possible. Wait, Rabia, that would require some level of training, even if it's just basic, right, on how to collect information. Exactly. And when we asked Alhaji Ibrahim Kazina about this, we did not really get a clear answer on that. You have traditional ways of training the community guards to take care of that. And once we make a society security conscious, which the, that's what community policy is all about, make the society conscious about its security, definitely they will know the basic tips. A key part of this training, according to him, is that... Society will be trained to observe the pattern of activities in their society. As we said, let's say, for instance, the case of drug trafficking. One, the society will be trained to be observant. Who and who is doing what and what in, in the respect of that issue of uh, drug movement and what have you. One, they see that... They try to detect where is the source from, where are they coming, which house, which shop, which But area. he is clear that the training is not a formal training. So the detectives are naturally given training on instinct. Not the formal training. You go to school and get certificated. No. It's a traditional way that the society is becoming conscious of itself. How you get me? Resilient and ready to ensure that nothing infiltrates it that will bring problem to it. But Rabia, there seems to be a gap. Part of the appeal of this approach is to reduce some of the burden on the police by collecting the initial evidence. Doesn't that evidence have to meet some standard? And if it does, wouldn't the community need to be trained, even if it's just informal, on how to collect that evidence? As a legal practitioner, I can tell you that there is a level of standard that evidence must meet in order to prosecute. So if one of the benefits of this method is to relieve some of that burden, then yes, the community would need some level of training. And that can actually be done through media programs. So in the example of Amoteku, if they are going to be effective at supporting the police, that means that this would be a critical part of their training, right? Exactly. So let's take cultism as an example. It's one of the biggest security threats in the Southwest. 
Amotekun agents will need to be trained on how to identify suspected cultists and then gather their evidence without directly interacting with the suspect. The key here is to limit the interaction, collect the evidence, and pass it on to law enforcement. Law enforcement should be in a better position to approach the suspect. But isn't there a danger here that once the community feels like they've gathered the evidence and they have a criminal, what's to stop them from taking the next step and just executing the punishment? Yes, there is that danger. And we asked Alhaji Ibrahim Kazina that very question. No, no, no. We don't allow that because that's taking law into the own and it will lead to anarchy. They are turning into a conventional aspect of policing. That, okay, when you see something, say something, I report somewhere. So that doesn't mean taking law into their hand. And you see, as I said, the community is, so, is trying to be responsible. According to him, the conventional security force would step in to do the needful. There is a conventional security system that is empowered by a lot to do that. They will take their own information. They do the necessary investigation. And once they establish their facts, they quietly take it to the relevant authorities who will swing into action to get arrest and deepen investigation and possible prosecution where it be. Isn't that one of the biggest challenges we have? People do not believe that the enforcement system works. In fact, based on our analysis, one of the emerging threats that we're seeing in the Southwest is mob action. Mobs are taking the law into their own hands. Yes, and this is another area that Alhaji Ibrahim Kazina was not too clear on. The question I have is what mechanisms would this community policing program have in place to prevent a community from taking action? And here's another question. How do you prevent a community from potentially misusing this? For example, what if a community just decides to file a complaint every time they see a herdsman? We still have racism amongst ourselves. It's not based on color, it's based on tribe and religion. Yes, and he admits that. In Nigeria, we abuse the aspect of tribalism and religion. It's part of the dynamism of human nature. Human being by nature is troublesome. No matter what, he will find an excuse to fight his brother, to fight his neighbor. Eh? You remember the case of uh, the children of Adam? So I think he knows that there is a potential for abuse even in his proposed community policing system. And that's why we need to have an incorruptible enforcement agency. Let's say a community does file a complaint against a herdsman and they have no evidence. If the enforcing agency then takes action based on instinct and no evidence then they have clearly shown that they are biased and have opened the door for the system to be abused. Alhaji Ibrahim Kazana points out that this community policing concept works in other countries. You go to the United Arab Emirates, see how they operate. You hardly see people even in uniform. But people are watching themselves. Go to Saudi Arabia. Go to the UK. In Saudi Arabia, when the community gives information to the enforcement agencies, the enforcement agencies take action. In order for the communities here in Nigeria to really adopt their role as information agents, our enforcement agencies must take action. Otherwise, one of two things will happen. Either the communities take on enforcement and turn to mob action, 
or the community simply gives up and stops sharing information. As you all know, the issue of alleged police brutality came to a head last year with the Ansar's protest. But that protest didn't really address a fundamental question. What are police for in the first place? Now, the coming of Amotekun as a form of regional and state police should open up dialogue around that question. If the real reason, the real goal of Amotekun and other up-and-coming regional security forces is to address crime at the local level, then this old model of policing, which was focused mostly on enforcing law and order, that model, it may not work. But this renewed concept, this model of community policing that Al-Haji Ahmed Ibrahim Kazina has written about and he's spoken about it, it could be more effective at helping us deal with local crimes. But only under certain conditions. In communities across our country where the local enforcement system and the courts work, then yes, community policing should help. Because people in those communities know that if they report, action will be taken and it will be fair. But in communities where the enforcement system is weak, or it's biased, or it can be easily corrupted, then community policing may not help. And it's likely to turn into mob action. So, what do we do? Do we sit around and wait until we have strong, incorruptible enforcement systems before trying out community policing? No, I don't think so. Like everything else in our country, we just can't afford to wait to fix this before fixing that. We have to fix both at the same time. We strengthen our local enforcement while activating smart community policing networks. Strengthening local enforcement doesn't mean giving boys more guns, fancy uniforms, and flashy cars. Strengthening local enforcement means making them incorruptible. With incorruptible local enforcement and smart community policing, we can finally put this issue of security behind us and move on to the important business of economic stability. The Backstory is brought to you by Triple E Media Productions. Production copyright 2021 by Triple E Media Productions. If you enjoyed this episode of The Backstory and want to hear more, give us feedback. Subscribe to our 234 Audio YouTube channel. Visit our website at 234audio.com and download our 234 Audio app. Episodes of this podcast can also be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, Radio Public, Breaker, and Pocket Casts. This episode was made by... Antonieta Kalunta, Rabia Hadeja, Dominic Tabakaji, Sam Tabakaji, and Nico Rivers. Special thanks to Alhaji Ibrahim Ahmed Kazina, Richard Anyabe, 
Alexandra Gekpe, and Mala Iwa Bado Ikaleku. I'm Ramat Mohammed. See you next week.